Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is Rockin' Nation, uh, our podcast series. My name is Sam Snelling. I am your host. Uh, this is an episode of Dive Cuts. A little bit of a change with uh, our, our switchover. The podcasts are now on the SB Nation uh, series of podcasts. We're all, we're all part of the big family now. And so what that means uh, is you may have had to put up with an ad <laughs> uh, as the lead into the, the podcast. Um, but it means that we're going to change things up. So you know some new intro music. Uh, this is now uh, season three of Dive Cuts. Uh, starting in, in August every year, we're going to start the seasons over. So season three and episode one. Uh, today, uh, I've got Matt Harris with me, and we're going to talk some Mizzou basketball. Matt, my friend and co-host, and insert some funny weekly saying, which isn't happening this week. But Matt, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, I'm glad Netflix brought us back. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that uh, we, we've survived. Um, also, uh, Rocky Nation is an extended family. Uh, I feel like the family tree is going to be extensive. So I uh, hope we don't get lost in the shuffle there. Well, yeah, so uh, the new new podcast series, we've already had uh, the fifth down uh, with, with Mitch. And uh, Mitch, the longtime producer of, uh, of Rocky Radio, is now uh, turning his talents to hosting uh, had a solid first episode, a few audio problems uh, for those that listened, but uh, they're getting that cleaned up. Um, but they got the content to you. 
Uh, we also have uh, Speaker Circle. Josh is introducing all of our new writers. Uh, and we will have another podcast kind of heading your way uh, here soon. Um, maybe as soon as next week, I think, as, uh, as one of our new writers, um, Nate Edwards, is going to get started on a, a football podcast as well. So, so two football podcasts uh, and, and Josh doing his thing. And then, Matt, you and I will uh, still be a part of it doing our thing. Here we are. Dive cuts. Still going strong. Before we go forward, I, I would like to share a little factoid uh, with, with the listeners. Nate Edwards and I go back um, to French 1, 2, and 3 at Hickman High School in Anise Wetzel's <laughs> class. Um, Nate has watched me mangle infinitives in French and perform poorly in conversation. But uh, a thank you to him for once letting me cheat off of him in an exam. Really got me out of a pinch. Uh, right before Thanksgiving of my uh, junior year. So thanks to Nate Edwards for that. <laughs> uh, so make sure, if you haven't already, that you are subscribed to our new Rock'em Nation podcast. Uh, and all of these uh, wonderful new podcasts will be basically sent directly to your phone. It's really cool. You can get it on iTunes and, and the Google Play Store. Uh, I think we're still going to try and uh, stay on the... Uh, iHeartRadio and and Spotify side of it a little bit more of a challenge now that uh, you know all of that is changing. But we are here to talk basketball, uh, and and today uh, Tuesday August sixth, uh, Missouri actually released their non conference schedule, uh, and it is a schedule that was met with a little bit of um would, would you say disappointment from fans overall i i think is is maybe one way to put it i thought for one the video was awesome the video was awesome uh and i think you have to realize the fans love big soda but they greeted the uh schedule with a kind of a collective harumph um it, it and, and you can understand so, it and we'll get to talk about why uh, we can understand fans might not like uh kind of what they were presented with today but uh kudos to big reed uh, and Big Soda for uh, taking us into nature and uh, sharing a little bit of himself and sharing the schedule. I thought that was a terrific way to uh, unveil the schedule. Like I really, really enjoyed the video. Enjoyed you know watching uh, Reed sort of in his element. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Reed Nico, uh, the the Missouri Tigers' lone senior. Uh, this year is going to be uh, or is going to be graduating, I guess, with a fisheries and wildlife degree. So uh, he is an expert in fisheries and wildlife, and and sort of took to a a river and and the outdoors to to talk about um, each school and like the state bird and flower and all that kind of stuff. It was really kind of funny. Good job by the, the the content makers in the athletic department. <laughs> that, that was that was so, quality content. So let's jump into this schedule. Um, Wednesday, November sixth, sixth, uh, the they kick off at home against Incarnate Word. Um, then they're Friday at home versus Northern Kentucky. Uh, they take to the road on the twelfth against Xavier. Um, Sorry, Chris Mack would get mad at me if I say say it that way. So we're we're gonna correct that. It is Xavier. Um, Monday the eighteenth, they are home again versus Wofford. Uh, the twentieth, home again versus Moorhead State, and then the Hall of Fame Classic at the Sprint Center in Kansas City. 
versus Butler on November 25th. And then the, uh, the other game will be against Oklahoma or Stanford. Um, December 3rd, Charleston Southern at home. The 7th on the road against Temple. December 15th, a home game against SIU Carbondale. Uh, Bragging Rights is Saturday, December 21st against Illinois. Uh, December 30th uh, is home against Chicago State. And then the Big 12 SEC Challenge, they are on the road at West Virginia. Yeah, that this is a, uh, a barn burner for the first week <laughs> to bring in a uh, incarnate word squad out of the Southland who went 6-25 and last year. Uh, 346 in Kimpom, 348 net. Uh, if you're curious, there are only 357 Division One teams, and uh, Bart Torvik projects them to finish 313th this year. So look at it this way. They're on the way up, Sam. They are moving up, um, and they are getting better, uh, presumably. Uh, Northern Kentucky, on paper, like you may recognize the name if you watched the NCAA tournament last year. They won uh, the Horizon League. Uh, but their coach is now, John Brennan, is now across the river, literally just jumped across the Ohio River to take over Cincinnati. So they have a little bit of a retooling to do. Wofford, um, another team you may have recognized as a darling in, in March, they have uh, lost some key players off that roster. So there may be a little bit of a step back there. Um, Moorhead State, another team that's kind of out of the OVC, uh, near the bottom of that league. Charleston Southern. I can't remember which league uh, Charleston Southern is in. I should know off the top of my head, but I don't. Uh, they're going to be kind of steadfastly in the middle of the of the of Division One. They're going to be between 160 and 180. Uh, so not not great, not bad. Just sort of uh, right there, stuck in the middle. SIU uh, coming off a middling year in the Mo Valley, uh, but hey, we get Ronnie Suggs. Ronnie Suggs is coming back home for that one. It'd be, be nice for the home fans to be able to give uh, Ronnie a little little ovation for his return. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ronnie uh, was a good program guy, and nice for him to uh, hopefully get some more minutes in this game, and uh, you know have a little bit of a role with the uh, with uh, the Saluki. So I think hired a new coach. I can't remember. I think he had their new coaches on staff at Loyola Chicago. So kind of a little bit of a move in the conference there, trying to shore them up. Uh, Chicago State uh, is in the whack. The conference with just the most illogical assortment of teams. I encourage you to look it up. They basically just chuck darts blindly at a board, and that's the whack. Uh, but Chicago State is uh, also a program coming off a 3-29 and season. And then uh, West Virginia, who I think should be better um, this year. Uh, Bart Torvik has them rejected as 32nd. They finished 95th in Kempom last year. Um, so potentially a bounce back year uh, right there. So... A nice sort of uh, mix of teams there uh, at this point, but I was just sort of curious for your initial thoughts when you saw the skate when you saw the slate. Uh, I I thought, wow, uh, they certainly met the NCAA mandate to go find tough road and neutral games. Yeah, uh, oddly enough, as bad as the opener is, it won't be the worst um, home opener, even within like the last few years. Uh, for those that might remember. Uh, Kim Anderson's final season um, was against Alabama A&M. Uh, and I still contend that that team at the time, I think they were, they were like 349th when they, they took the floor, Alabama A&M finished 351. Uh, and in, um, 
2017, uh, there were only 351 NCAA Division One basketball teams. Uh, they have since added what two two more D1 teams? Well, they're up to 357. Yeah. I think they're at 357 going into this year. So. Well, yeah, so 353 last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so 351, uh, they were the, like one of the worst basketball teams I've ever seen play college basketball. Well, Chicago State finished 353 last year in net, so uh, the technically the worst team in Division One is uh, who will be here on December 30. Uh, so keep that in mind. Yeah, so, the, so overall, it, it really, it no matter what, you're going to always sort of have probably a couple games against teams that you really probably shouldn't uh, lose to, even if you're only playing your second team. You know what I mean? Um, And when you sort of are are trying to build a schedule and I, so I understand why when you you look at it, it's disappointing to kind of see no really marquee home games. Um, but I understand why it is this way. I mean, they sort of, I guess, pulled the short straw uh, this year. I mean, I thought that they, I think they thought they had Utah lined up and they couldn't get a date worked out. Um, you and I have sort of talked about that. I, I'm of the opinion that Utah is not wanting to take a road game at Missouri. Um, and the longer they put it off, the more, uh, the less likely they are to fulfill the, their end of the contract on that. Uh, and I, I would not be surprised within a couple of years if we see them basically just sending Missouri some money to, uh, to, to, you know, cancel the contract. But, uh, you know, essentially it's, it's, it's difficult these days to really get, you know, a marquee home and home, you know, they're the, the way it's, it's set up. Um, you have to really, really work to put together a schedule that involves another high major team because they're all sort of looking for, um, you know, they're, they're looking for the gate and they're looking for, uh, you know, uh, if, if they're going to, if they're going to get their NCAA wins, they're going to do it on, on neutral floors and around Thanksgiving weekend when, you know, there's 1500 people in the stands. Um, so it's, it's just sort of like this way that, that college basketball overall. And I honestly think like, at some point they need to figure it out and they need to do something different because it is impacting, um, you know, like fan interest early in the season, uh, to a large degree. I mean, there's still the, the marquee matchups where you get, you know, Kentucky and Michigan state and stuff like that. But for the most part, I mean, nobody really pays attention to college basketball until they hit conference play. And it's, it's largely because of the lack of, uh, interesting non-conference games. Yeah, and I think the the one thing you have to talk about is uh, Blue Bloods kind of have splintered off and done their own little kind of quartet and kind of play together. There's the State Farm Classic every year, which is Michigan State, Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas. And then there's one later on, which is Kentucky, UCLA, North Carolina, and Ohio State. And those teams sort of schedule in their own little sort of packs. So if, you, if those teams, if you're, say, Kentucky, you've already got two marquee games locked in there you're probably going to be able to get one more that you're going to try and play on a neutral floor and the the reason those schools do that is they can go to big cities they can go to big media markets they can go into areas those events will move around into certain recruiting territories so 
if you're Kansas, you can come like last year and play a season opener in Indianapolis, and you can get into a recruiting territory that maybe you had not been prior. Same with kind of Kentucky and anybody else. Um, and I think the other thing that sort of has happened too is some of these tournaments are owned and kind of operated by television networks. So if ESPN needs programming over the entire Feast Week, it's got five or six tournaments, and it will work with conferences who they have network agreements with the slot teams into them. So it's just the way that things have sort of evolved with television and with you know Blue Bloods sort of segmenting themselves off. You know they're going to hunt for games that move the needle for them that they can you know that will get eyeballs on them, and they have the ability to do that because they command that in the market. And then the rest of you know high you know the rest of high major basketball, so about another 60 or so teams, are all fighting to get into good neutral floor events to sort of get those kind of opponents. And it really has sort of, I think, led to a withering of a good home-and-home matchup. And it's a credit that Missouri got, you know, someone like Iowa State in the first two years that Martin was here. It's a credit that, you know, if Chris Mack had not left Xavier, that would have been a really, really, really good home-and-home for them to get early Mm -hmm. on. And, you know, even... You know, a team like UCF was a good home and home to get. You know, that was a team to the top of arguably, you know, probably the seventh best conference in the sport. So they've done what they can within the confines of the schedule to get teams in. But if you're going to get a blue blood in here, it's going to be if you play in Maui or if you become so good that they have no ch- that they have no choice not to kind of let you in to their exclusive enclave. So I, I think people need to understand that it's not. For lack of trying, it's just the way the market has evolved for getting good home games. Right, and and then you have you you actually set up a home and home, and the other team like backs out because they're trying to build build their own NCAA case, and they're worried about uh, you know like Utah, I think, worried about kind of rebuilding their roster and having to go on the road to a place like Missouri, and that's you know, like, and it's like Missouri going on the road to uh, Xavier or Temple. I mean. Those are games that I look at right now, and I look at uh, them as being a toss-up game. You know, it's it's a road game. If Missouri plays what I think they're capable of, I think they're uh, like on a neutral floor. I think they're better than than Xavier, and I think they're better than Temple. Um, but when you're on the road, it's 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 different, and so you're you're sort of putting uh, your record at risk and and making. Um, making it more of a challenge to get into the tournament. And that's, that's sort of like what all coaches want to do is, is sort of land in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Cause it's pretty hard to get fired uh, if you're making the tournament every year. And the, there's also the kind of the new bind now. And I, I talked about this a couple of years ago with Chris Dobertin when we came on to kind of talk about the bubble picture in Kansas first year, which is moving to the net rating has kind of shifted the dynamic a little bit now. It's where the NCAA is really rewarding you if you go play road and neutral site games. But it is one that you can still kind of game the system where you can go play a team in the 40s, 50s, or 60s, and that will count as a quad one win, or you can get one of those teams on a neutral floor. So coaches are now kind of hunting for those matchups where they can go get a team in the 40s, 50s, or 60s of net, which is going to give them a quad one win potentially without having to go play somebody that's killer. So you look at Xavier right now. Xavier finished 64th last year in the net. A road game at them counts as a quad one game. If Missouri wins that game, 
with you know Xavier in the 50s or 60s, that's a quad mm-hmm. one win. If they beat Butler, who was 66 or 61st, uh, who was 66 in the net last year, if they project as 61st this year in, by Bart Torvik, that's a quad two win. If they get Oklahoma in game two, that's a quad one game. Temple is a quad two game. Illinois is a quad one game, potentially, if Illinois you know, is a top 50 or 60 team. So the way the schedule is sort of incentivized is now you're kind of hunting for those neutral floor games or those winnable road games against somebody out of the Big East or the AAC. And that can kind of, I think, skew the home-and-home matchups too because the back end of that, and it's good for those teams and those conferences because now they're getting the same kind of opportunity with you. So it's sort of, I think, created this ground where, you know, these teams that are all kind of clustered together in the 40s, 50s, and 60s schedule each other to a degree. And while that's those are good matchups, we enjoy watching them, the casual fan at home is not going to, you know, have the needle move very much. And Missouri's in a bind this year where all of those games are on road and neutral floors. It just worked out that they didn't get any of those games at home. So it, it's a product of kind of just the environment and also just this year kind of, you know, circumstances working out to where, you know, Missouri's going to have a, going to have a lot of chances to make an impression on the NCAA tournament committee, but they're going to have a lot of tough kind of road and neutral site toss-up yeah. games. And overall, it's a, I mean, so the, the home slate, while not being particularly interesting, um, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a schedule that Missouri can put themselves in a very strong position heading into uh you know, conference play. And so I sort of talked about it on the post a little bit, and I'd, I think I'll probably get in deeper as we kind of, you know, break down each opponent a little bit more. Um, but I think if, if, if you do sort of like a 10 and three, um, which I think is, is you're getting three good neutral court wins. You're, you're, you know, running the table at home, um, you know, neutral or road. Uh, and then you go into conference play. And if, if the conference ends up being pretty good, all you have to do is really be like nine and nine and you're probably going to get in. Um, and so nine and nine and, and 10 and three. So you're, you're, you know, you're uh, 19 and 12, which isn't a, a terrific record or anything like that, but um, it, it sort of puts you in a, in a position of, of being on a safer side of the bubble. And I think, um, and then anything you sort of do above that is just sort of, uh, you know, bonus. And I, I think I think this is a team that's capable of that. And, and the other point I think you have to make is, you know, if you're Missouri and you're looking at, if you're a Missouri fan looking at Incarnate Word in Northern Kentucky, if you're Missouri and you are breaking in Drew Smith and you have three freshmen, two of which are combo forwards, you're going to play heavy minutes for you and you're going to, you know, be getting your first time on the floor and you're having new pieces you sort of want a soft opening. You want to be able to try and experiment with lineups. You want to try and be able to have some flexibility. You want to be able to maybe run some things that you, you know, were kind of curious about. Same thing with Northern Kentucky. So you need to give yourself a little bit of, one, a breather on the schedule because you're playing six tough games away from home. But two, you've got to have some time on the schedule to really sort of mix and match and and try some different things. And we saw this last year. If you like watch games against Moorhead State, not Moorhead State, but um, I can't remember who was in, but if you had watched those games against maybe some weaker teams, you'd notice how the lineups were tweaked. Those are built in for the staff to also have some opportunities 
to try some things and use them as kind of a petri dish. So I think that's important to keep in mind too. Is one they need to try and balance the schedule. Two, they've got to try and you know find some way to try schematic or rotational options live, and you know when the score counts. So that that's something to keep in mind too. Here is it's a balancing act when you're building the non-con schedule to you know get winnable games, but also give yourself some time to have some cohesion, have some development happen. So when conference play does come around, you have an idea about what your team is and what guys do well and what roles exist and what rotations you trust. Exactly. Is there anything else that you felt like we needed to get to on the conference or the, the schedule stuff? I think the, I think the, if people look at the SEC portion of the slate, the, the home slate kind of, there's some good games, I think, potentially in the home slate. For on the SEC conference uh, portion of the docket, they get Tennessee at home. Tennessee could be an NCAA tournament team again this year. Um, you know, the, there's some questions in Knoxville, but I think right now they're a team that could probably be between a five and a nine seed. Auburn, same thing, a, a team that is between a five and a nine seed. Mississippi State could be a bubble team. Florida is going to be a top ten team. Ole Miss could be a bubble team. I think people are sleeping on Arkansas a little bit. That's going to be a competitive game. Alabama could be a bubble team. A&M and Georgia, maybe not so much, but Georgia, you get Anthony Edwards, a potential top, you know, two pick in the NBA draft comes to play here. So the nine games in the SEC portion of the schedule could be really entertaining. Um, There's going to be some chances for quad one and quad two wins in there. So just think of it that way. It's not a a completely empty glass. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like I've uh, lost any steam over my excitement for the season. And I realize like you and I are both remote. Uh, you know, I, I do all this from St. Louis and you do it all from Indianapolis. And so, you know, attending games at home doesn't really impact, uh, us a lot. Um, I'm going to watch all these games on TV. (laughs) Uh, and I'm still like really excited for the season. I think it's going to be, um, you know, there's a, a really chance for this team to kind of help this program turn the corner. And, and uh, I think there's a lot of reason for, for fans to still be excited, despite the fact um, that, you know, the Mizzou arena might be a little uh, cavernous early in the season and a little empty at times. Um but I still think there, yeah, you know, there's there's reason for for people. And you and I were kind of talking about this off the air a little bit about like you know student turnout. Um, you know, people want to complain about you know student attendance, but I mean overall attendance it's kind of down. And and when you look at slates like this, it's easier to understand why. But I mean, it wasn't that long ago when all of the season tickets were selling out because Michael Porter Jr. and, and the level of excitement for Missouri basketball uh, was there. That excitement has been tempered since uh, since then, um, and sort of the reality of the rebuild has sort of settled in. Um, but if you give this program, like, just two straight years of making the NCAA tournament, I think that that place is going to be packed on a nightly ba- basis. And, and maybe it's not 15,000 people for Chicago State, um, but I bet they get like 10. Um, and that's a significant <laughs> increase over what was showing up a couple years ago. Yeah. And, you know, practically, you know, we talk about, you know, what they got to do in March. You know, we sit here and again, Bart Torvik isn't Kim Palm, but if you believe it right now, 
this team is going to have 12 to 13 shots, I think, at getting quad one wins. And, you know, you look at the SEC slate, about half of those are at home. So if, if those are your games that determine whether you get into the NCAA tournament, you're going to have to wait a little bit. Yeah, but you get into the conference portion of the schedule, you can six of your tickets are going to be to see games that could determine whether or not this team gets into the tournament. And I think that that's still an attractive, you know, package to have in front of people. And if this team does what you're saying, which is say they come out of non-con at 10 and 3, 11 and 2, then I think the attendance issue kind of, you know, is tempered a little bit because, you know, the team will have had some buzz. They'll be playing well, presumably, and they'll be going into, a, you know, a schedule where the, you know, they'll be going into games where the stakes are elevated. So I think on the day, it's easy to carp about, you know, kind of a lackluster non-con home schedule. But I think in aggregate, it can be a pretty good schedule and can be pretty good tickets this year for folks who, who you know, are on the fence about whether or not they would want to go. Yes. So let's t- turn the page to... To more grouse. Uh, yeah. Um, everyone was really... I mean, honestly, I think we, we've done enough... Uh, tempering of expectations when it comes to uh some of the the big three um uh but kentucky uh landed a a recruit from st louis and he just happened to be a guy that conzo martin had spent several years recruiting um, a lot of time invested uh and cameron fletcher sort of played himself uh, into the hands of John Calipari. And, and when Kentucky comes calling, it's kind of hard to say no. And that's what happened. Yeah, only took Cal 42 days. That was, that's efficient, man. That is just unreal. And I think I sent it to you the day before it happened that from the offer date until the day before Cam Fletcher committed had been 456 days. So Cal got the pledge in one-tenth of the time, uh, which is just, you know, he's one of the best recruiters of all time. He has an alluring package to put in front of kids. They win a lot. Um, I think when I wrote this summer, you know, their hit rate on guys being really, really good inside the top 50 is like 60%. I mean, they don't... If a kid signs with Kentucky, most of the time, there's a good chance he's going to become a high-level starter. Or there's a decent chance that he'll become, you know, a solid to high level starter in the mm-hmm. SEC. That he will go and you know, at least you know within one to two years play himself into a mid round, mid first round draft pick. And you know, Cal, you know, has recently started touting. Look at the second contracts that our guys sign when they get to the NBA. We prepare them well, like we pre- we set them up to acclimate really well to the NBA, which then lets them go out and you know earn sure. money. It. It's, it's it's a, a great pitch. pitch. You know, it's a, you know, it's, it's a compelling case to guys who want to go play basketball for their career. And I, it is mostly like bull. It, I, I'm just stating what the pitch is, man. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> stating whether the, I'm not so, getting into the veracity yeah. or accuracy of it. But like one of my one of my favorite things uh, is is the coaches who are honest about it will always say like you don't like you don't turn guys into pros. You recruit pros. Like you don't develop them. You recruit them. You, you, you um, don't. There's just don't, not enough you time. You don't hurt their stock. You just keep it level enough that somebody wants to take them. That's that's you're just maintaining. 
Yeah, and and Cal has had you know a few successes with guys who sort of came in a little bit lower ranked. You know, like Tyler Tyler Harrow, very recently was uh, you know just inside the top fifty, became a first round lottery pick. Um, you know, I think a large part of that was uh, he he's a shot maker and he's a guy who fit into a system uh, really well. Uh, and I, I kind of think like you know um, he had a skill that the NBA is valuing more and more. And I just, I just forgot the, uh, the the kid that Michael Porter Jr. was recruiting so hard. Uh, Kevin Knox. Yeah, but Kevin Knox is in the same way. Like, Kevin Knox was a, a you know, top 12 or 13 player uh, who went in the lottery because he was one of the few guys on that roster who could shoot. Uh, and and shooting on a Kentucky roster is a premium. So, honestly, like, if, if Cam... If Cam can figure out how to consistently make outside shots, uh, he will be a first-round draft pick because he will get highlighted in a lot of ways in that offense. Um, I'm skeptical whether he can do that consistently enough, uh, and I'm skeptical whether he'll be good enough to beat out other guys uh, on that roster because you know, like Cal's not going to stop recruiting, and if he gets you know Josh Christopher and uh, you know they've got you know BJ Boston and um, you know, Jalen Green maybe and um and that doesn't even say like whether or not some of the guys that are currently on the roster will come back because maybe their stock isn't what they want it to be. Um, you know, I think who is it? So they they've got Johnny Johnny Juzang's a guy I think is kind of yeah, a Yeah, Johnny Juzang. Uh you know, they've got Tyrese Maxey, they've got uh Maxey's projected as a top ten guy and more of a combo scoring Khalil guard, Whitney I think the um, bigger difference Khalil Whitney you know like yeah. guys that you know with the right year uh they could absolutely go um you know but it's not like it's not it's not set in stone the way that maybe like a guy like Keldon Johnson was and I think when like Keldon Johnson came in everybody knew he was going to be a one-and-done player and he was and he, even if even if he wasn't going to be like a one-and-done and be a top 10 pick he was still going to go after after his freshman year so I don't know that that the current Kentucky roster is full of guys like that. No, and Cal, I think, is sort of slowly... He's still chasing, you know, guys who are one-and-done guys, but I think he's also sort of shifted his recruiting a little bit to guys who he knows he can keep maybe an extra year on campus, and he's also working kind of the grad transfer market if he needs a particular player. So he's he's tweaked his model. It's not just about winning recruiting rankings you know, all the time anymore. I mean, he's still bringing in monster classes, but he's getting guys who are more inclined to maybe stay a little bit longer. So yeah, I think, you know, Cam's going to have to show that he can make shots and show that he can kind of become a little bit more uh, adept at creating his own offense in the half court. You know, I think the one thing that he's built to do really well is to get up and down and play North South. I think anybody who's watched him with BBE or with Vashawn, you know, can tell that that's, you know, obvious enough. He's a guy who can, sprint the floor in transition he can find ways to get on the offensive glass you know, he's active you know you know throughout the game but the one thing that happened in the summer was you know even when he was surrounded by two really good guards in Caleb Love and Moses Moody you didn't really see you know kind of the more skilled portions of his game open up um, he would have some catch and shoots where the shot maybe get off a little bit slower it wouldn't be consistent there would be some issues in terms of deciding when he wanted to close out or you know drive on a closeout. Um, so I think the question there is, can he find a way to sort of get traction in the half court 
if he can do that, then I think he can carve out a niche. If not, then you know guys like Brandon Boston and Josh Christopher, who I think are really really skilled at you know making plays in traffic and you know creating their own offense, you know are going to be able to maybe you know pull ahead of him a little bit and get minutes. But that's down the line. Um, and you know say what you will about those kinds of things he has to clean up. Uh, he's got all the tools that you know you look for and. You know, I wish him nothing but the best. You know, I think that's one thing you and I always talk about. You know, we ultimately we root for guys to be successful, and you know, this was what he wanted. And so, to the degree possible, I hope you know he uh, finds what he's looking for in Lexington. Yeah, and on another sort of thing that I've sort of pointed out, and I I think you have too, is. Um, when you look at the layout of the Missouri roster, the one place that they are not really hurting for players right now is on the wing. Um, and I'll be honest, like even if they signed uh, Cam and brought him in next year, uh, I don't, I don't really know that I feel like he would have started. Um, and I, I don't mean that to kind of put him down. I, I just think that he's a guy who he's he's more of a, a, a two or three year player in college. He's got some things he needs to work on. Uh and right now, um Missouri's got some guys on the wing who are kind of developing and looking pretty good. And uh, you know, if Torrance Watson sort of continues on his ascent, I, I, I don't see anybody unseating Mark Smith from his starting spot. Um as long as Mark Smith is healthy and Drew Smith are healthy and you know, Torrance Watson and, and Javon Pickett, uh, you know, both had their moments last year. If those guys get consistent, I mean, I think anyone coming in, and, and this includes Josh Christopher, um, you know, Josh is talented enough that I think he probably starts over Torrance and, um, and you know, Javon Pickett. But, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's a given the way that uh, the way that you know, maybe some people would assume if, if you bring in a guy that, that that's that talented. I, I really like overall where the Missouri roster is right now. Um, and I think what's more important in this class is that they get uh, a, a big, that they can develop, and, and that they get uh, a lead guard. I still think lead guard is going to be important, um, you know, whether that's a point guard or a combo guard, but somebody who who can score and, and, and do those kinds of things with the ball in his hands and uh, ideally, uh, that guy is Caleb Love, um, you know. But we don't really live in an ideal world, and Caleb Love, like uh, like Cam Fletcher, has some pretty nice options in front of him. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think I've said this to you. North Carolina, you know, if if you just look at it objectively, is a great fit. They play at pace. You know, they want to, you know, if anybody who watches them and understands what Roy Williams wants to do with his secondary breaks as the basis for his offense, will tell you it's a, you know, he when he puts the 
when he gives the keys to someone, it's a lead guard. You know, they quick outlet and they go. And then, you know, the second part of that offense is putting the ball in a lead guard's hand and asking him to make plays. And, you know, given, you know, the fact that, you know, let's assume that, you know, Cole Anthony is gone and one and done, there's, there are minutes waiting, there's talent around him, you know, it's, you know, as you pointed out last week, you know, when the finals were came out, you know, he just has to look back to last year and Kobe White and what happens when things go really, really well for the number 25 recruit in the country. So, you know, in terms of fit, in terms of opportunity, North Carolina to me is the team to beat right now. Um, I think, you know, Louisville, you know, is a team, you know, we can talk a little bit about maybe their offense and kind of their pace. You know, they, they don't, Defensively, they're they're a little bit more pack lineish, but offensively, man, it's it's just ball screen heavy. That's it's like if you look at eighty percent of like Chris Max Xavier playbook, it's it's ball screen emphasis stuff, high ball screens, you know, clear outs. It's it's going to put the ball in his hands and ask him to go make plays. Um, Kansas, you know, is is one that you know national analysts have sort of said is deep in the mix there. We'll see what happens if Devin Dotson sort of moves out and what happens there. I know that Kansas is just. You know, landed uh, Dewan Harris out of Columbia Rockbridge, who had a really good spring. They've got but a lot of guards in that roster right now. They uh, do, but there's there's minutes I think more at a lead guard position for him. I think they can make minutes happen for him at lead guard if they wanted to. So, but if you're asking me to like the top two that I that I sort of look at, I look at North Carolina and Louisville just because I think their offensive schemes fit him well. One is either going to play at pace with then some free-flowing motion out of it, or the other one's just going to be so many ball screens where he just gets to go pick and make reads and do whatever he needs to do off the bounce. And especially because I think Love has really, really figured out how to make those reads and figured out how to play it to, and play at kind of the right speed you know, coming out of those screening actions that I think that's a really good fit for him. So those are the two that I've sort of always thought would you know just scheme fit-wise and sort of where those programs are health-wise made the most sense um but it'll be interesting to see what happens and sort of when or if he gets down for an unofficial official visit to to missouri but uh as you noted the competition's really 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 stiff and it it it's going to be a dog fight to see if, if missouri can hang in and i will say like i think my opinion on on love is is changed a little bit um as far as his likeliness to to choose missouri um and while I, I say that, like, I don't, I think we've always sort of felt that he was destined for a program like a blue blood. Um, I think, you know, the word around, um, you know, St. Louis and some recruiting circles is that's what, that's what he and his family were kind of looking for as they were looking for that more elite offer. Um, but, I, you know, I think that's a little uh, short-sighted as to what the family is actually looking for, uh, and I I appreciate uh, I appreciate this from them, and, and I th- I feel like the approach is far more analytical than uh, than say what what Cameron like you know you sort of express that you know when you talk to Cameron like he he doesn't necessarily tell you like what it is that he likes about one school over another um, you know part of that's he's a quiet kid he's a little introverted. Um, but when you talk to, to Caleb, like you get the idea that he understands each and every offense that he'd be moving into. He understands, you know, what the development plan would be, 
uh, you know, for him once he stepped foot on campus and, and, and getting into the next level. Um, and, and when, when you talk, when he talks about like it, when he talks about things like that, it makes you realize that the pitch is going to be very different, um, from a recruiting standpoint. And, and I think, and while I don't necessarily think that Missouri ends up winning the battle, um, I think that they've understood it. And I think Hansa Martin has approached his recruitment in a way that is going to keep Missouri probably in the mix until the very end. Uh, and honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if they pull it off. Uh, whereas maybe a year from now, uh, in the past, um, I would have been really surprised if Caleb Love would have landed at Missouri. Now I'm I'm less so. So maybe I was like, okay, I think there was like a one or two percent chance. Now I think there's probably like a fifteen to twenty percent chance that 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 Kansa can pull it off. We'll see. I, I think there's no doubt that they've done a really, really great job. You know, I think presenting the entire picture to Caleb and presenting kind of their plan to him and about where they see him developing and growing and putting the keys in his hands. It's, and I sort of like the idea that he would get to get a year to sort of apprentice with two other lead guards. And then you sort of, you know, presumably in an op, in a hypo, you know, in the ideal world, he would come in, you know, you'd have Drew Smith as a senior, you know, sort of handling those lead guard duties you maybe have a split role with Xavier Pinson and then those two kind of battle it out for the starting role after that. And that's kind of a nice succession plan there. Um, and I think it sort of flows into what you're talking about on the wing situation, which is Torrance Watson and Javon Pickett are probably four year guys, you know, maybe Torrance breaks out, maybe Javon breaks out, but more or less those are looking like program guys for four years. So you've got a little bit more stability at that spot. Whereas I think, you know, Drew Smith is going to be gone, you know, in a couple of years. Mark Smith is gone in a couple of years. So just at the point guard and combo guard spot, there's just a little bit less stability, and you maybe want to try and start getting guys lined up and in the pipeline for that position, um, which is sort of why I'm curious. Well, I've always been interested in Josh Christopher is, you know, he's billed as a wing, but if you watch him with the Las Vegas prospects, he really, he and Jaden Hardy kind of split the duties of running that offense. And so he's kind of played in a combo guard role there and he can, you know, make reads and he can run offense and he can initiate offense. And so that's sort of interesting to me. Why I've always liked Christopher a lot is, okay, so say you want to, you know, have a secondary ball handler on the floor. You could keep him out there and you could keep Torrance or you could keep Mark and you could still have some shooting. You could still have some ball handling, some, some shot creation late in the clock. And you could have some flexibility on that sort of end. So I've always liked Christopher because I think he could slide off, he could slide to that secondary ball handling role a little bit, and sort of you wouldn't, and you could kind of craft your lineup still with some shooting around it and not have a defensive drop off either. So that's sort of my little side pitch for why I think Christopher is still really, really intriguing to me. Oh yeah, I mean I'm not discounting that. I I just oh no, I just I just wanted to. Address because we talked because we talked about you know ball handling in the backcourt. I think there's a way that Christopher can kind of you know also give you a little bit of that too, aside from you know just being a, a, a wing. Yeah, I think I think he and and Mark Smith uh, are maybe kind of in the same role um, where you can play like Drew, Mark, and and a guy like Josh all together, um, but they're all three sort of interchangeable with a lead guard ability, um, with maybe like Drew kind of being the top 
you know, most likely, and and then maybe Josh, then Mark, but all guys that are capable of kind of, you know, doing that and playing that role. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think the most important thing is they really need to to have uh, a plan on in the post. Yeah, um, the post is. And honestly, like some of that kind of depends on what happens with uh, Axel Congo. If he gets a, a second year, I think maybe the the pressure to land a second you know big is is lessened. But um, I think they have to have at least one, um, and hopefully it's it's one of the uh, the Davian Bradford, Ryan Kalkbrenner, or John Hewley uh, trio. I think is probably the most likely um, at this point. It'll be interesting because Bradford's got an official visit uh, lined up on August 30th to Kansas State. Uh, he's taking that actually with Luke Kasubke, a uh, childhood friend, but also a guard out of Chaminade that uh, Missouri offered last spring, but it appears that he was kind of more of a backup plan than a primary target. But those two are going to be going to Manhattan, and that's sort of one I'm interested to watch. Um, he hasn't had any other officials lined up at this point. Um, so I think if you're Missouri, you'd like to get that on the book sooner rather than later. Ryan Kalkbrenner took an unofficial visit to Missouri, I think back in June, uh, but he's been on an unofficial visit tour. I think he was headed to Purdue last I saw. Uh, he's been to Illinois, I think a couple of times. Um, he's been to Creighton. Uh, I can't recall if he's made it out to Stanford or not, but if that's a school that's thick in the mix there, the general sort of feelings that maybe Illinois is in the lead there. We'll see. If that holds up, John Hughley's recruitment is, you know, sort of interesting to figure because he released a top 12. Um, so there are some schools in, in the mix there, but visits haven't been set yet. I know uh, when I've talked to his high school coach, Chet Mason, off and on, as he's always said that, you know, he's felt good about where Missouri is. But we'll have to see what sort of happens when that final list cut down, when the next list cut down happens for Hughley. So it feels like the sort of pivot point is at, in the front court, but there aren't any visits, and there doesn't appear to be, you know, one player. I think where Missouri's clearly broken out in front, and is sort of viewed as a leader there. I think their best shot is Davion Bradford, who's raved about, you know, the staff. But I think you know, anything you know, until they get a visit on the books, um, I think it's important to keep that in mind too. So. Those are the ones that are in play. And then it'll be interesting to see what they do um, for backup options for guys like Caleb Love or for Cameron Fletcher, which that still yeah. seems to be sort of a bit of a murky spot too. Um, I think they've got Chance Robinson. Uh, I'm looking here at my list. Um, Chance Robinson, he's supposed to be, uh, I think, cutting down his list soon. Yeah, he's supposed to be cutting down his list uh in the near in the near future, uh, no no specific date, but he's just mentioned that he's gonna after some camps he's gonna sit down and kind of cull the list. Um, they are on the top ten for uh, combo guard <laughs> point guard Adam Miller out of Chicago. He is supposed to cut that from ten to six, um, but you know you and I are skeptical that you know Missouri makes that cut. Um, then after that. That that always felt like a weird offer, didn't it? It felt like it yeah, felt sure, late. Why not? Um, but you know, yeah. hey, if if they make it into the top six, then it was the right time. So sure. uh, who am I to you know critique you know something if it works? Uh, then on the wings, I think uh, the two most likely backup options, at least that we know uh, in terms of names right now, is uh, Scoob. 
Carlos Scooby Johnson out of uh, Benton Harbor, Michigan. Uh, Scoob. Uh, it'll be interesting there just because uh, his recruitment's been pretty quiet. I haven't heard of anything about a list cut down coming there. And he's a guy that we are both big fans of. Big fans. You know, he's not a guy who I think is ever going to be a fast switch athlete. You know, he's not a guy who's ever going to break guys down, but he's great as an off ball cutter. He's great if you, like, get him into the elbow area, like, reading plays, finding cutters. He can knock down shots from there. His catch-and-shoot game is coming along. He's he, built like a defensive end. Like, he's just... Like, he, he he looks like a football player on the basketball court, but he's incredibly skilled for uh, for his body type. Like, he moves really well. He, he, he can he play. plays hard, too, and I think, like, that's one of the things that is often kind of not talked about in a way like like how hard do guys play and not everybody always plays he always plays hard he's also been a guy too that i've been impressed with this trajectory because when he started out at benton harbor they needed a big so he played on the block for about his first year and a half his first first freshman year and his first half his sophomore year and then slowly moved out to the perimeter and then when he plays with the family he's on the wing now so he's a guy too like i think when i watch him in indy he could crab dribble out of the post he could back cut the baseline he could uh, pick and pop. He did a flare action to the corner for a three. And then he's a guy, too, if you get out and you see the break, he's going to be trailing and he's going to be running hard to get on the glass if you miss the layup. So he's just a guy who plays really hard. He's switchable, I think, one through four. Um, he's got strength, functional strength, where I think he can load up and you know handle some guys who are trying to maybe move him on the block a little bit. So... Is he a traditional slashing wing? No, but I just think he does so many different things and he can kind of become such a utility guy that over time you'll find a way to use him. And I, and I just really, really enjoy watching him watching him play. Uh, then they put out an offer last week, coincidentally the same day that Cam's visit started, uh, to uh, Kentucky, to Ronnie DeGray, who is a name that if you were uh, paying attention... Not connected at all, I'm sure. Sure, just <laughs> coinky dink. Uh, Ronnie DeGray the uh, third, who's out of Colorado, but he spent his senior year at Woodstock Academy in New England prep school there, trying to boost his stock. Um, didn't really take off very much uh, this spring. I think he had, you know, I think Wazoo tried to get in, UMass got him on campus, but then he decided to. Um, reclass out of the class of 2019 into 2020 and basically take a post-grad year at Woodstock. He's 6'7", 220. Um, he has taken an unofficial visit to Missouri, but that was all the way back in uh, 2017 when uh, he was still at his home, his first school in Colorado. Uh, didn't get an offer then, but he picked up an offer last week. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how involved they get there. So those are kind of the names I'm watching in the backcourt are Scooby Johnson, Ronnie DeGray, and uh, Chance Robinson are kind of the three I'm watching uh, as potential kind of, uh, you know, plan Bs at this point. Uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting few months. Um, I don't really know what to expect as far as how many guys Missouri is planning on taking. Um, I think there was always a possibility that they sort of put together their dream class, maybe took four or five guys, but it doesn't look like that is going to happen. Um, so it's probably more like, you know, maybe a two man class, um, you know, maybe three at most. Uh, so I think that's probably where they're at. Um, but you and I are kind of running up against it. You know, I've got my, my hard deadlines for when we, 
uh, need to wrap this up. Um, you got anything else that you want to hit on before we get out of here? No, no, I think we've covered it all. I think uh, it's good that we ended our hiatus. Um, sorry, we didn't do it on better news other than uh, Cam Fletcher picking Kentucky and a non-conference schedule that people aren't enamored with. But hey, uh, we don't pick the content that we uh, have to discuss. It just it's the fates hand it to us. Exactly. And it doesn't impact how exciting this season is going to be. It's going to be a fun, exciting season. Um, and we have all kinds of great football content going on right now. If you've been ignoring the Rock'em Nation website, I suggest you head over there. Uh, because of the sheer number of new writers that we have, uh, and we still have to announce um, one or two more, I think. Um I've, I've lost track of so many new guys. You're a one-man uh, HR department. <laughs> it was it was a stressful couple weeks. Let me just uh, you know say that uh, trying to trying to kind of get every everybody in line in time to still have some preseason content. Um, it was it was an adventure, but I I really like our team. I really like the group that we have putting together football content. I've always liked uh, what we have going on with basketball. That's going to continue to be excellent. Uh, a few of the guys I think that are coming on are going to help with hoops too. Uh, so we're going to have just more great Mizzou coverage through and through. Uh, the podcast, head to iTunes, head to Google Play Store, uh, subscribe, uh, rate it, give us five stars, all that kind of good stuff. Um, if you have any issues, uh, tweet at, at Mitch uh, and tell him all about the problems. Um, I don't want to hear them. Uh, and then you and I will probably take a couple weeks off uh, at least. Um and we will kind of start ramping up, I think, once we get into like mid to late September. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll, we, we will have basketball podcasts and we probably will we'll hook up again for another Dive Cuts. Um, just we'll see how it goes. Uh, but I've, I've got to get some opponents alley stuff kind of coming in here soon. Um, so until then, uh, make sure that you are subscribed and, and the next podcast coming your way is, is probably going to be a good one. I don't know what, what's next, but, uh, but listen anyway. Uh, and until then, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys.